As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to episode 16 of the Husky International series and a long interview with German alpinist David Göttler. I met up with David when he came to Stockholm for a lecture as a part of the release of The Other Way, a brand new summit series from the North Face. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Find out more about this episode and previous episodes at huskypodcast.com. This episode was made in cooperation with Ad Nature and The North Face. I also came in contact with some of the people in the US behind the design process of The Other Way. You guys there? Yes, we are. And uh, we did a short interview. Yeah, I'm Joe Vernaccio. I'm the global vice president of product at The North Face. Uh, so could you tell me a bit, um, uh, what is the uh, the Summit series from the North Face? What's the, the background story behind that? Yeah, the Summit series is a, is a uh, group of products that we specifically label with Summit series on it that is to be our best-in-class mountaineering kit. Um, it's something that the brand started in 2000, the year 2000, and... Uh, it's continued to evolve ever since, and it's kind of become uh, a statement in the marketplace as uh, the best and and what and and illustrates what's possible to make. And now for this season, you uh, you launched uh, the summit series. Uh, well, kind of a special edition of the summit series series, if I if I understood it correctly. Uh, that's called the other way. Uh, so what's the story behind that, and what's the story behind the name? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. One was uh, internally, just with us as a, as a product team and a, and a, and a brand. Um, Summit Series, over those 15 years or so, um, continued to evolve and broaden and, and get much larger than just this premier 
uh, mountaineering kit. So we decided we'd take uh, we'd take the risk um, to edit it down and get back to just that premium kit. Um, at the same time, as we were looking at that, we we had ways of manufacturing and ways of making product that we wanted to try and and we thought could really elevate the uh, the product and what was possible. Um, so we uh, use Summit Series as our think tank to evolve what's possible in, uh, in both manufacturing, in design, but also uh, how we meet the athlete's needs um, to try to make, you know, garments that are incredibly warm, incredibly durable um, in the most progressive, advanced ways possible. Um, so that was kind of the foundation of the reset. One was to bring it, bring it, bring it back down to a mountaineer's kit and to uh, use it as our laboratory for our best thinking. In our design process, we kept trying to choose the more difficult route. So trying to make some analogy to climbing a mountain that had been climbed many, many times. But how do we, how do we do it? How do we take the more elegant line and the more uh, interesting way up the mountain? We decided when we got to a design problem, we kept saying to ourselves, well, let's go the other way and see where we get to. Um, and that just happened to be coincidentally similar or very almost identical to what Conrad says. Um, we have a quote from Conrad where he was saying, you know, some people decide to go become uh, accountants, and I just decided to go the other way and become a mountaineer for, for a living. And uh, both us seeing it in writing from Conrad and us realizing that we've said that through the entire design process, we thought that that was uh, just the right thing to kind of give ourselves something to hold on to for this season. Um, when, when deciding uh, a series like this one, like uh, The Other Way, um, how does it work? Like, where do you get the, the most important, the most valuable input from, from, uh, for the design team? Yeah, it all started with the athletes. Um, it started very simply with just a, a big group of our athletes getting together, getting together in Boulder, um, having dinner, opening up a few bottles of wine, and talking. Um, they all brought garments that they liked, things that they didn't like, um, both whether it be our products or other companies' products. And, uh, and the process kind of started from there, from just a simple dinner, Um, and was, that was part of the spark and part of the inspiration behind even even this idea of editing it back down um, to just the essentials and just what the athletes needed. And then from there, we worked uh, certainly with Conrad. Conrad Anchor was was uh, instrumental in this uh, project from the very beginning and went all the way through to the final um, testing expedition that we sent people on. Um, So it, it always starts and stop, ends with our athletes. Um, and uh, many of our designers are athletes themselves and they get out there with them. And um, so it's there's not that much translation required. It's simply just reminding ourselves what those things are that people need. But, but and, um, and, and during this process, uh, could you get like a, 
like a phone call from from Conrad or someone like calling from Burma, like screaming at you, like remove the Velcro from the this and this uh, layer and blah blah blah. Or do you have like a, a structure with with regular meetings during the during the year and during the process? Or um, a little bit of both. Uh, there's definitely you know uh, set touch points where we'll get together to make sure every last detail is considered, but. We did get such a phone call where Conrad called <laughs> and said, you've got to take the gators out of this pants. I cannot. I'm tired of these big, wide pants that everybody forces me to use. And in ice climbing, I want to be able to see my feet, and I want you to take these gators out. These aren't ski pants. These are mountaineering pants, and I don't need gators. Um, and we took them out. And, it, uh, you know, it makes, it makes the pant a lot less commercial, um, in broad use, so harder to ski in and harder to um, ski mountaineer in um, because you don't have that gator, but it's excellent for ice climbing. Um, which would be... Yeah, and, and that's really the, the, the next question, if it's um, uh, sometimes difficult or perhaps even impossible because, you, I mean, you are a commercial company and, and if it's difficult to kind of translate this because the needs of of the people like Göttler and and Conrad Anker, it's uh, they are highly skilled, like very kind of narrow professionals, uh, and their demands and their uh, thoughts about equipment is it difficult to translate that into something that that will like speak to the to the normal end customers and and attract the masses kind of. Yeah, I mean there are parts of our line where we we do need to do that translation. This was not the place for us to do that. This was the place for us to purely express what that pinnacle mountaineer alpinist needs and, and put it in our line with no dilution and no editing. Um, so this, this was the place for us to do that. We weren't, uh, we're not measuring our success or failure based upon how many units we sell. We're, we're uh, measuring our success based upon comments we are getting from uh, mountaineers. Who are actually using the product on the mountain, and um, yeah. Um, and looking at this uh, the other way, um, how long does a design process like that take? Does it is it possible to 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 answer that? I mean, does it have a certain like starting date and end date? Uh, well, we started this project of of kind of relaunching Summit in the very end of twenty. 13 with the initial thoughts of what it was we were going to do. And then we still had the 2014 line in play. So that one continued. But while that one was being designed and developed, we created a little skunk works team that went off to the side and started on the 2015 product. Uh, so a full two years in advance of the launch of it. And a lot of that time went into what was what was possible and what were the fundamental problems that people, um, mountaineers, needed to solve and how could we solve them with advanced manufacturing techniques um, and, uh, you know, fairly straightforward, uh, simple concepts, but very elaborate in how we had to actually solve those problems. And um, finally, you've already touched upon that, but the uh, like the designers, the team working on these products, how how active are those people uh, outside of office hours? 
Uh, quite, quite active. Um, you know, most of the people on our, on our very technical uh, climbing, skiing, and running gear are all highly, highly active. Um, whether it's the people working on our, on our running gear, they're all, they're all running 50-mile uh, uh, trail runs and 100-mile UTMBs. Um, and uh, if in our equipment team, they're out. Um, I, the team was out just this weekend, all ice climbing up in the Sierras. Um, and they do it as a team, and they do it without um, without any prompting. They're very happy to go out and uh, quote unquote test product. So, um, and then the same for this team. Um, you know, going forward, a lot of the members of the summit product team actually live in Boulder, Colorado, where we have a small design studio there. Um, so they have access to uh, the Rockies on a regular basis. Don't miss a short comment from Ad Nature after the interview. What were you like when you were a kid? What I was like when I was a kid? Well, I think I was pretty normal average kid. I was I didn't have any kind of eccentric phase in my life. I think so. But there's always like I said it about myself. So if you ask my parents, maybe they say he was crazy. Something different. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I discovered this kind of life of being outside and pretty early, I think for me, and it was kind of hooked. My, my father introduced me to climbing and mountaineering when I was around seven, so pretty early. But that comes in the family. Your family, your father and your mother, they were very active people, outdoors people. Yeah, definitely my father. And my mother was more kind of a... Mm, did it a mellow way so she was hiking a lot and what both showed me was adventure traveling so from the I mean I can't imagine uh, remember one holiday we did like a normal in a, a Robinson club or whatever so we always went with a cheap or four-wheel drive car and we we went through the middle of Africa to the Sahara to the Hogger Mountains I think when I was I don't know, I must be something like 10 or 11 and I have one sister who's two years younger. So we went there and, and we went three times to Iceland with their own car, like from the, with a ferry from, I don't know, it was Amsterdam or Hamburg or whatever. And then, I don't know, five, six days ferry up there. And then the whole summer holidays, like five weeks, we, we drove around there with the own car. And so I think, yeah, I, I, they showed me both this kind of adventure life and and I was hooked. My sister wasn't hooked at all, for example. She was she went totally in a different direction. We have a good relationship but we are totally different. So and I stayed on that track and and I finished high school and after that I started my mountain guide education and and become a mountain guide and started my my yeah, professional mountaineering career. But but <clears throat> you never dreamt of, uh, because the next question would be if you dreamt of adventures as a kid, but you were out on adventures, on proper adventures. Did you did you dream of like going on an easy vacation to Mallorca or did you dream of like, wow, the, the big old expeditions to Antarctica or Mount Everest or whatever? Did you, did you have those kind of dreams or... 
definitely the the last one you mentioned. I I think I I can remember that I dreamt at all going to. Like I want to go to London and Madame yeah, Tussauds. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. No, never. And and never. Some also beach holiday was was always something kind of. Oh, I was kind of scared of that. And we went always once a year, only with my mother. I remember to to the, the North Sea to Speaker Orc. It's a really tiny island there without cars. But that was again. I mean, that was on the sea, but it was we could stroll around on this whole small island because it was so small. We can just go on our own when we were kids. So it was again really full on adventure for us. So yeah, I and and and, and I grew up in Munich, and we. What we did, we we made our own kind of small raft and went down like this tiny river which we had like close by and run a bit through Munich and and things like that. So we, I always like to do that things and uh, so so that was my start as an adventurer and a mountaineer. Uh, but but were you or are you still interested in those? What I said like the like the old adventures, like the old big ones, the 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 old first. Uh, Ascents and first uh, discoveries of of uh, continents and, and and mountains and. Well, I'm interested in on the one side, uh, like reading of it. Of course, I I like to read the stories and and the best and most motivating book for me on expedition is always reading about Shackleton the and Shackleton. these guys and because they the I best mean, the best commander on an expedition. Yeah, and also like <laughs> the the way, but I I was always way more fascinated of the way they kind of suffer and they can stay there for this, I mean, almost f- for a year on this island and just waiting and waiting because that's what you do in expedition so most, you have this waiting game. And 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 so when I read these things, I always think like, oh my God, we are so whiny, whiny here. And just after one week of bad weather, we kind of, oh, come on, when it's changing and we want to go home and all so, so, and, and you read these books and you think, Look at these guys. I mean, they stayed like for a year. They didn't have any kind of you know satellite phone or whatever. They even didn't know if they get rescued at all, and they just waited. And so, I like these kind of aspects of kind of you know this and endurance and this kind of you know they just yeah they they believed in it and they stayed and they waited and they just tried again and again. How often these guys went back there and tried it again to reach the south and north pole is crazy. So and. Uh, and that's what I find really super interesting uh, in on this old adventures and and for me my adventures for sure they're different and nowadays I think they 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 become different in in general which don't make them any more more enjoyable or or exciting or I don't wish that I would have been born in this decade I'm super happy to live now and here and and I think out there there are so many adventures waiting for me so I can't complain and I I heard a I heard a quote I don't know if I remember it correctly but um, like back in the old speaking of the old expeditions that back in the old days the uh, the boats were made of wood and the main men were made of steel. These days, the boats are made of plastic and the men's are ma- men are made of Gore-Tex. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, probably. That's a good quote. <laughs> That's what we are surrounded by, like Gore-Tex and, and synthetic and high-tech. I yeah. mean, it's crazy nowadays what, what we have with us on this, yeah, 
adventures and uh, and, and if you look if you look at the clothes and the equipment that they had like i don't yeah. know only 50 years ago or 100 years ago it's it's amazing to see what they accomplished no definitely when i when i compare to to the in the himalayas when i because that's my my field more or less like the high alpine mountaineering or climbing and and i see 50 years ago with the closest the equipment looked like it's it's sometimes hard to imagine that they that they survived or that they did what they did it's crazy um you said that you uh, you became a, a mountain guide after high school but you never had a normal job career or plans of a quote-unquote normal job career no not that i had the plan but i also didn't have the plan to become a mountain guide so when I finished my high school in Germany, we have to do this one year of social work oh, yeah. at it's least. The military time. service or the social? Yeah, you can choose, and I choose the social work. And I went to a place outside of Munich, like an hour, and in the mountains. And at that point, I was became part of the in German the German Alpine Club had this program which called expedition team. Like yeah, it's like this young Alpine mentoring thing. And uh, and I become a member of that team, so that was where I saw the first time the profession mountain guide. Because before I climbed with my father, and then I I learned by myself with friends, with people a little bit more experienced. But I never kind of had um, a a guide who teach me something. So this was the first time I I, I discovered there is a profession called mountain guide, and it was kind of well, that could be something nice for me. And originally, I wanted to start studying after this one year of social work but then i discovered this professional mountain guide and i said well i want to try this and, and then i was also like oh no and now after a year outside of munich out of the city back to the city and going to university was kind of oh no i think i can't do that anymore i was <laughs> so already so like oh i love this out here so so and that's when i decided okay i start now the mountain guide education thing it takes three years or three and a half years and and after that i i saw that the profession mountain guide is something really just yeah it's so enjoyable so it's uh, it's yeah i can't think of something better at the moment as one of my two kind of income so one is the mountain guide profession the other one is like professional athlete or mountaineer how you ever want to call it so yeah i was i i never had then this in in my mind then to do like a kind of normal normal job and now to imagine going to an office nine to five with open open an excel spreadsheet yeah it's like oh it's (laughs) the most scary thing you can can give me this like my nightmares are out of this (laughs) um how important has the uh the social side been to your progress as an alpinist like doing it discovering it with your friends or i think it's it's a do you think it would have been the same even if you would have done it all like uh, on your own no for sure not and i definitely wouldn't call me like a lonesome cowboy out there and or i i don't i'm not a solo climber as well so i really enjoy and also need i think in a way to at least have like one partner like i like really small teams but one two or three that's like the perfect size for me on these trips and expeditions 
and then to enjoy it together is is something yeah it it's part for me of why I'm I, I'm doing it and I I love to to spend the time waiting in a base camp with a good team and you just have way more time to talk about everything and everybody's way more yeah kind of you know relaxed and and uh, not not um uh, not um uh, distracted from the noise always around us here in the city with the wi-fi and, and the... yeah with everything <laughs> and nowadays you have it started to you have wi-fi in the base camp which mm. is i enjoy it on the one side on the other side i think wow wow another mm. thing we have there now too but yeah i had climbing partners which i went two months on expedition and we almost had no contact than here in that normal at home environment but every third year we went on or second year we went on expedition together again and again and it was perfect so i really it's it's a huge part of of being out there that you have this social social relationships in the network there but do you have a, do you have relationships or friendships like like that what you just described like some people you spend time with like when you're in the city when you're in munich and some people you only spend time with out on expedition out on the mountains and you never go to like dinner parties with them or, or whatever but you have certain friends that you only share this experience with yeah definitely i have friends who just mostly because then they are no, no mountaineers so i only see them when i'm at home like like old school friends and so we have a super good contact and every time in munich we we go out for dinner and doing these things and other friends i have like you said i only be with them on expedition and we text maybe once a year or something like that just to like are you okay okay good fine and and that's <laughs> it and then suddenly hey next year what do you think we could doing this okay we're doing and then we go two months three months on an expedition incredible intense from the kind of you know space you have to spend together but it works perfectly and it's uh, we i don't need then the time in between to have kind of a you know ongoing interaction with this person or or that i keep being updated what he's doing like a weekly thing or whatever so it's totally fine but do you think it's <clears throat> do you think that's uh it's is it important for you to kind of keep these separate parts of your life to kind of distinguish well these are friends that i share these uh, uh, moments with up in the mountains and and uh, but i can't spend too much time with them because maybe then it will you know no, do you like to strive no, some I kind of balance no i don't think it's because of that i think it's more just because often it's they live on they live yeah. totally somewhere else they or they you also don't want i mean i i i have you know i want to spend also time with other friends and often then you think like oh well i've been with this person now two months on expedition now i'm it's okay not to spend now again all the time with this person so it's then then i want to climb with other people so i love to have different climbing partners here and there and so it's it's more this yeah location and related that they're not then all the time so it's not that i think i 
I need to have a break from this person because then it just works better in the end. No, that's. Uh, how would you describe the the friendships that you create and the friendships that you make out on the mountains, like the people that you you you, you first maybe you meet them at mountain so, huts and or or camps and so on. How how would you describe the these type of friendships that you make? I think it's a. Uh, It's a really intense friendship, and it's a very pure friendship as well. Or you, you get to know people way better and way more without this facade. I say facade, which you easily can keep here in an in a environment where you are totally in your kind of comfort zone. So out there, even we are professionals. And but we are, we are. We we are dealing with situations where you, where you you, you don't, you can't you know put on this. It would take too much energy. You need your energy just for what's out there. You can't pretend to be weak or strong or 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 whatever you you want to be here in the city. And and uh, and that's why I think this you you get to know persons way yeah in a way purer and, and natural more more natural sense and and kind so and that in the end makes I think a relationship which or a friendship which works in this environment is stronger and and yeah intent more intense in the end um, how would you How would you describe the role of the mountain guide from your perspective? Ah, oh, it's that's a long question. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, yeah, so, uh, because um, I mean, for me, the the guiding I I really enjoy. Still, I enjoy it, and but it has something completely different to the climbing and mountaineering I do as a private person. So. When I go on expedition for myself, it's completely different. When I go in Chamonix, climbing a mountain for me with a friend, looking for my challenge, it's completely different. When I go with clients guiding, I'm, I'm, uh, that I get my satisfaction and my kind of joy out of helping this person to reach something which uh, the person probably without me couldn't couldn't achieve so then to see for example that I summit with him then or with her with a person with a client um, uh, Mont Blanc which is we are like the normal route is something I've done a lot of times and it's kind of you think like oh it's super boring but when you when you you get to this challenge that you have to have or like really try to you know make it happen for this person that he arrived there it's a huge challenge and then to to see his emotion or her emotion being up there on the on the summit of Mont Blanc starting to cry the same way like I cry on a Makalu summit on 8000 meter peak for example it's I I totally can relate and and exactly knew what the, what it feels like in this moment and that gives me then Um, to be a, a small part or a huge part of of why he feels this thing now 
it's a super good moment and it's a good it's a very satisfying thing so that what i really love on on guiding and and uh, and then but guiding can be yeah so much so it's that's why the question is really difficult <laughs> to like answer with one with yeah. one question. Um, but is it also kind of a way for you to kind of rediscover your own progress and like get a different perspective of of where you came from and your your journey towards what you are today? Because you can you can kind of maybe see everything. F- like from a fresh perspective, like from their perspective, like you said, you've summited Mont Blanc hundreds of times, maybe. Uh, but 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 then again, doing it together with the client, you 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 do you get some kind of. Uh... Well, it's uh, I have one project where I really see this. It's I'm now I was now for six years the coach of this young Alpine mentoring program in the German Alpine Club, and there I totally see that, and this was incredible intense and it was really also stressful because you have to push this young <laughs> persons there they are 16 to 25 something around that and you have to push them in an environment which like a small mistake and you can't always kind of you know hold them the right <laughs> moment so you need to kind of you know leave the, give them the long line and they can uh, and and push them in in this really environment is alpine environment where a mistake can be really uh, pretty bad and but there to see how they progress and evolve in this is always a three-year program so i did two of the teams and it was amazing to see and it was also for my it was so motivated it was a, a huge motivation for me always to go with them and and to kind of see how they become stronger and if I can really if I can keep the pace more or less and 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 for example in rock climbing they are so good nowadays that I <laughs> I don't climb as good as rock at day but then when we come to altitude it kind of okay I have it under control and so and but to see how they progress is is amazing and it just reminds me of of how I was and and then on uh, on the on other guiding things is it's it's hard to to see this point, but but there are other things then which is we are absolutely which I enjoy and 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 are good. Uh, <clears throat> when it comes to mountains, what does a mountain need to have for you to become interested in it? I think uh, it has to have uh, a story, and a story can be just the shape the story can be that there is no story so far or the story can be that they made history like like i really enjoyed climbing the eiger north face that we are the classic route because like every pitch every meter you gain you find a different place which is like wow here happened this and then you continue and like come around the next corner and wow here's this kind of bb place and this is called the difficult crack and whatever and you know all the stories so it's it's super interesting as well even if it's nowadays maybe not the like the it's it's not super uh, technical difficult anymore in the in the way what today alpinists can do so yeah it has there has to be a story in in all the different ways like i said do you have a certain favorite mountain that you always come back to 
No, I don't. I don't think there's a really favorite mountain I come back to. I just love Chamonix so much, and and because it has this, it's I think one of the best playgrounds I know for mountaineering. But there, I don't know. There like the so many kind of different and smaller places and summits there. So and I enjoy strolling around there and don't have like a particular one which is like oh this is like my home mountain and as I always kind of move so much around in my life it's not that I always have this one mountain behind my house which I don't know a Reinhold Messner had when he always went up and down up and down I don't know a highly Kreuzkopfler or whatever when it comes to <clears throat> and when it comes to expeditions um, are the different Aspects of the the expedition that you uh, uh, like, uh, uh, how does it work when you when you when you because I guess you get very well, a couple of times a year you get offered and you get presented to different kind of expeditions that would you like to participate mm-hmm. in this or would you like to come with us and do that? What do you look <clears throat> What do you look at in an expedition for you to? Uh, 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 for you to, to to well, this is this is interesting. I want to join this. It's a good question because really at the moment I struggle always to, I I'm because there are so many interesting projects out there and at the moment it's always like ah oh, damn this is also like the like I already have signed for this kind of thing which is great but then ah oh, but this I would also <laughs> like to do and then ah oh, and my girlfriend's like. Hey, come on! You can't go back to back to back on expedition. It's like, yeah, I know that as well. And so there are so many good things out there. So it, you need to come at one point where you say, okay, now the next two years I do this and this and this, whatever that comes up. And and I know that I can't be everywhere. Like now, I just um, step back from Nanga Parbat in winter for a second time, and I, I it was really hard for me, and I. I to make this decision, but on the other hand, I I knew I just been back from Kyrgyzstan now for four weeks there on expedition, and now just spending here one month or one and a half and going again two months on expedition under power, and then again in spring already another big expedition I have uh, yeah in mind is just too much, so can't can't do everything so yeah I need to and then how I choose the ones is I don't know it's um, uh, of course they are all for me super interesting I would like to do way more than I do but in the end it's it's the time we don't we don't have and and the ones that I choose is because it's maybe a, a new climbing partner which I kind of always we planned long time to climb together or or some uh I don't know some some mountain which I always want to go and so it's 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 like again what we said the goal has a story and I can always tell you I go to this mountain because this and this is the attempting part or this is why I want to go there so I would never go and I always always I also don't want to go if I don't have you know a feeling that one part of our expedition starts from the from the time from the from the route the mountain itself the team or whatever doesn't fit like 100% or where I don't have a good kind of gut feeling that I, okay that is right 
And when it comes to the members of an expedition, what would, because I, I guess you, you quite often end up with maybe you don't know everyone on the team. What 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 parts of uh, what type of, of personalities do you prefer, and what what different aspects of the people of the individuals are important for you? I mean, it's it's really very important, and I I learned also in this direction a lot. And I had expedition where I went with really good friends, but we went together for the wrong objective, for for the wrong goal. So we just had no. We didn't make it because, yeah, we, we were just the wrong team, even we were p good friends and we had no fights or whatever, but we just weren't the, the one for, the perfect one for, for, the, for the objective, for, the, for this kind of route. So you need to choose very carefully and as it is such a long time where you are so in this limited space intensely together, it has to be... A perfect setup, and and because the smallest thing can drive you mad. If you if you with someone who have I don't know in the end it drives you how he eats his his soup or whatever, or how he you know in the morning prepares his his muesli, and you think like oh, yeah, if you do this always this loud way or whatever, and it drives you nuts. So it's a small thing, so it's, you know, and it has to be really perfect. So I I. I really normally I know the people I go with and uh, so it never happened that I end up with on an expedition then in my team with people I I hardly know. I had it now the first time in spring I have to say that I really just knew this person via Skype and it was also I, I had from the beginning a good feeling because he was friend with a lot of my friends so I know the kind of friends who know him so it's this is how how it worked then and we, we had and it the worked team well. was, was very well yeah but I, I mean I guess in some way it's like a marriage I mean uh, after a while even though you, you it, it starts with love in, but in the end you can start getting annoyed at the small things and, 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 and exactly. sometimes it, have you had like uh, like friendships like almost ending or like you, uh, like after a, a trip or an expedition you kind of well we will take separate ways from now on No, not that we have it ended, but you had often the feeling that now you need a break from this person for sure. Like, and that that's what I had, but but not that I, I never luckily until now had, yeah, like that we fight on an expedition and then we had to go separate ways or whatever. It was, I mean, it was often that one of my partners they were like the first time doing an altitude expedition or whatever and they discovered for them then that no really I it's not my kind of thing I don't like that kind of style but it was not because of me because just I don't know they couldn't deal well with altitude or they don't like this kind of environment there so that's why we ended up never going on expedition As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. 
LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, but not because of personally dislike. Um, is there a competitive side of this kind of alpinism, like when you, like maybe you set out an objective and it could be like one, it could be two years ahead in time, like a new route or a, a new peak or do this peak in winter time. But at the same time, maybe there's a guy up over in the US or in, in Poland, like who's planning the exact same thing. Uh, you know what I mean? Is there a, is there a competitive side? For sure, there is a competitive side in the way that, yeah, like like you, like you said, there are some some mountains out there with like Nanga Parbat in winter, for example. Because it has which, never been summited in the winter time yet. Yeah, no, it's, it, we have two 8,000 meter pieces, K2 and Nanga Parbat, who have never been summited in winter. And that's what a lot of climbers at the moment try. And, and so... You won't be there alone. Maybe you could take K2, yes, because it's really, I, I don't know if that happens ever. So, but Nanga Power, them, a lot of people try the year, winter of the winter. So you won't be there alone. And, and uh, you have to accept that the same happens to, to lines on, on other mountains or could even seven or 6,000 meter peaks where, when, um, yeah, where really very, um, uh, um, uh, how you say? Um, uh, attractive lines are still not climbed, and and you know, okay, people will go there in the next years. That's why we often it's it's kind of I always don't like it in a way that you kind of don't talk about your upcoming expeditions or things. But on the other hand, you always kind of think like, ah, oh, if I say it now, maybe somebody else will. So you wait kind of the period that you think, okay, now they can't, you know, decide now, okay, I go now on a two months expedition because it's just not, it's impossible just to say, okay, now I'm two months off. So, so now for spring, I have something in my mind and we just, you know, don't talk about it in the way that we go there and we're so, so until maybe, yeah, like, like new year or whatever. So, and then. But do you think that sometimes in, in certain situations, certain scenarios, that that could be uh, that that could maybe perhaps add to to the danger of this life, the competitive side. Do you think that some expedition they might stress a bit, that they might uh, hurry and they embark on something that they are not fully prepared for, just to be first? I say, I mean, it happened in history wise. Definitely, it happened when we just look to who is the first to climb all 
8,000 meter peaks um, without oxygen when Messner had the competition there going on and uh, and that happened so nowadays I think um, uh, I mean or I just can say it for my for myself how I discovered it I don't have then once I decide I go there I don't have the feeling I pushed harder or whatever just to be the first on, on something and uh, the same way which I never had the feeling to be pushed by sponsors for example or by by some uh, I don't know some media that they want me to be now the one on the summit or that they kind of you know they waited for 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 that and no I, I don't feel there any pressure and even and and when I look again to Nanga Parvat in winter, there was a Polish team with us, and uh, the same route, the same time, and we worked incredibly good together. I never had this kind of collaboration with two teams on a mountain and summer on eight thousand meter peaks where you're also mostly not alone. It's kind of everybody do his own thing because anyway, it was then mostly not not any new routes or something like where you can be the first, it's just like you want to summit or not and everybody does his own thing. And then winter it was, we worked so well together, we shared the weather forecast, we shared dinners, we shared tactics on the mountains. We because you ended up uh, following the uh, the Polish team or one of the Polish climbers because Simone got sick or Yeah, it all, and, and in the end, it was exactly like that, that I'm that I, Simone turned around in camp two because he got sick and I continued and joined Tomek, like the leader of the Polish team and he was up there alone too because all his partners didn't came up as well. So we had radios and we said, yeah, we joined. So I, I joined him in camp three, we continued to camp four, we continued higher and then we had to turn around because of bad weather or the weather forecast was just for 24 hours good and we, wouldn't make it in that time so it was a great experience and and I said this but even the, the better experience was how we were so open about when we go how our tactics have, would be so there was no playing kind of you know naughty naughty games and and uh, this we do now and then they think maybe we start and then we are the first on the summit because journalists and media they ask us what would be our tactic to be first on the summit in front of the Polish team and we just sit there together, laughed and, and read this interview request and, and then just said like, oh my God, it can't be. So <laughs> it was really, really good experience yeah. there. Um, I'm guessing that at the level you are today, I guess that you ended up like uh, working with people that you maybe uh, looked up to and people you admired like uh, when you were younger. Yeah, of course. Sometimes I... I I I kind of have this kind of yeah foolish smile that I think like oh cool now this person called me and asked me to to join him for the next expedition and and I always read or even the beginning of my career I kind of read of this person's and also now for example when I was in Langtang for this for this summit series thing I was well, the first time I was two weeks together there on an expedition with Conrad Anker and. I mean, he was, you know, you always read the stories of Cameron Anchor and suddenly you sit there in a lodge in winter in Langtang in Nepal and, and you, it's totally normal and, and it's... What does and it make you this, feel? 
this makes me sometimes yeah like this kind of puts me a smile in my in my face and I think like, huh, cool and uh, <laughs> how it ended up and and uh, but it's not that I would think like oh cool I made it now now I'm in the I don't know first league of of the mountaineers or whatever so not at all so so it's just I think I I always I have more of the feeling like sometimes it's funny how the life kind of you know. Um, uh, twists and turns, twists and turns, and then flows you to this direction and where you end up in a way. So that's what what is a curious way of how it goes. In, in ten years, you'll be sitting in a camp with with someone younger than you, and then he will he or she will experience the same thing. Well, here I am with maybe here I am maybe with David yeah. I mean, it was for example so cool to see how Galinde. I was climbing with Galinde Kaltenbrunner a lot. Was with her on expedition, and she's the first. She's from Austria, and she's the first woman who summited all um, uh, 14, 8,000 meter peaks without oxygen. And uh, and she was, I mean, we were, when we started climbing together in 2003, she was, yeah, little known. But then, of course, when she finished, uh, she was a superstar more or less in the scene and Austria goes crazy to her. And 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 it, and it happened that the, that the, I don't know if you still, or the, the former, Austrian president, they call in base camp and con- make congratulations, and and you pick up the thing and like, oh, I I pass you. So and it's this is super funny to to see then. Um, do you think it's possible to see any trends in in when it comes to mountaineering and alpinism? And now I don't, you know, I I, I don't mean like the color yeah. of your jackets or <laughs> style of jackets or clothes, but but like. Well, like now, for instance, the like the winter uh, the w- winter expeditions and well, I think that I mean, despite the color of the jackets, because there's a new trend too. But um, no, I I think the winter expedition they're not a new trend because it's just it just like you know we are now on this final stage and that's like where everything gets kind of concentrated to these two moments, Nanga Power and K2. And before, I mean, it happens so long, and also Nanga Power would try in, I don't know, 18 years or whatever. And uh, and uh, so it's not a new trend. The new thing is maybe that it's just way more easier to just um, get um, get an audience for that and make it public through, through all the new media we have and the possibilities you have. and. Uh, and the but there there's I think the one trend we see, which is kind of evolving more or is 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 pushing this mountaineering higher is just the speed aspect. So so you, the all the equipment gets way lighter and and then the the there are mountaineers which are which are having a kind of different approach to mountaineering and instead of like I want to I BV that route out and spend like days on the on the face they just have this radical uh, approach of I reduce my equipment so much and be super fit as well that I can do it in one day and there we see I think also on the high mountains for also for new routes which are before kind of not possible because maybe you have no place where you can BV or things like that so you there we will see i think like this is the the the, the evolution which at the moment happened or the the next thing what do you think uh, 
what is it that dictates these and moves these these frontiers within alpinism? Is it like tech, like the the now it's possible to make equipment that's so much lighter but still durable and strong? Is it like the the tech part, or is it something else? I think it's a combination. Of the one side is the tech, but like we said before, I mean when when we see the equipment which they had, I don't know. On the first ascent, it was just so heavy, but this they had to have this warm jacket, which weighed, I don't know, 10 times more than we have now. So, And with this jacket, you can't be fast. So that's the one side. And the other side is that it gets more professional from a sport, yeah, as a sport itself. So the, the younger generations, they start now to train way harder endurance and these things way earlier than it was before so before when we when we go even further back like to to someone like hillary or whatever they were sportsmen but they were not really like they were way more adventure and the classical thing so and and now they are really professional athletes who train hard and come even more from a from a competition sport like like endurance running or, or or trail running and then they convert into mountaineers so then they become the adventurer so and not the other way around so that's what i think is uh, makes the change because that was actually also an answer to my next question about if you see any new type of people that, that start out in this but this that Definitely. would be my guess as well yeah. like you said like people go like trail running the next step is like ski mountaineering and then you're into alpinism maybe yeah exactly this like this may one approach which we which you see many new talented fast good alpinists come up there or they start as competition indoor climbers on on plastic so and then they suddenly become super strong alpinists like for example david lama or the other one from the trail running side is Akilia and Jornet, you, yeah. you know. So you have these types there, and and these are not the only two. They're coming a lot more. So was it more dangerous before? You think? No, no, it was not more dangerous before. I would think it's it stays the same, and and we have now a way better safety margin due to better equipment. Of course, we push it also then again the the limits so so i think it's it's the same and and nowadays maybe it becomes even more dangerous because the this evolution like like people go from from indoor climbing to to outdoor scary climbing it happens so fast because they have all the power but they have the lack of of knowledge and experience which has to grow over years so and that is the the danger i think which is nowadays way more than than it was in the past um if you guess look in the in the crystal bowl where do you where do you think like if you look if you will look 10 years ahead how would you what would you guess that the the climate is like when it comes to alpinism where are the new borders the new frontiers That's hard to say. That's hard to say. <laughs> I think we see one direction which goes that it's like that you can be as a consumer really 24 hours with such a climber out there through no new technologies and you can 
put your VR like a virtual reality clad goggles on and you just be put with it on them. Killian and then yeah, let him put run it, away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one while he's doing that, you can be with him. And there's not only one; there are like millions who 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 summit with him, Everest or whatever. I think that will. I mean, and I don't don't think that Killian is the one who want to do that. I mean, don't take me wrong, but someone like. Like King, and that's that's the one thing we will see. And on the other hand, we see the other extreme that they, there will be really new, very strong and interesting people coming up. We totally refuse that kind of trend. So, so, but yeah, I think we will see scary things with this kind of that you can be so close to when it happens. I mean, it already can be now. It's almost now possible, but still, it's kind of you don't want that. But I think it won't take long that you get can be really close to when it happened in real time. <clears throat> the next question is very, very big and very vague. <laughs> but um, if 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 you see the the an expedition on on the way to to a summit and go down again, if you look at that risk equation the entire equation of this of this exposure how would you describe the the danger the factor in this which is danger how would you describe that and your relationship to it i don't know if i get you right now but i i just answer and then you can correct me <laughs> so i i think i mean danger is is part of this of this game and without the danger it wouldn't be so attractive and maybe I don't want it to do it but it's not it doesn't mean that I I'm I'm looking there for getting my thrill moments on an expedition exactly the opposite I try to avoid them as much as possible so I do whenever I can um, go not in a slope who looks avalanche or under a serac or under rockfall or whatever so I have I try to make my best risk management possible to avoid any dangerous zones but still I knew I I I it wouldn't be so intense and it wouldn't be give me so much back in the end if I if I would only go to mountains which are just a small hill and which don't challenge me at all. So, and the challenge in the end, maybe with some call it then danger or, yeah, it's it's hard to, I think, to describe it because if, as I said, I don't want me to call like a, like a risks, um, uh, kind of risky guy. I don't think I'm, I'm, yeah, kind of, you know, looking for this real guy. So, so uh, yeah, I think it's it um it comes along and it's also super difficult to see for or that I think I have a totally different kind of what is dangerous and what not because I have the experience and I'm there in this place to someone who looks from outside and have not this experience. They often think we are totally we have borderline syndrome or something like that we just want to die but it's, it's not that it's the opposite and and uh, and that's why i also think somebody like 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 i don't know 
when Alexander Huber climbed free solo or something or Hans-Jörg Auer climbed free solo, the fish or whatever, um, uh, they, they think they, to somebody who's not climbing, he thinks that's absolutely um, uh, not um, uh, unverantwortlich in German. Um, it's not responsible, like, it's unresponsible? Irresponsible. Irresponsible to do something like that. And for me, it's like, yeah, but they have thought about everything what they do there. So they have a really good risk management to what they do. And and they said for them, it's okay. And I think someone who goes like, oh, I go this small hike here around um, Stockholm here in the forest. And he, he even don't know what dangers there are. And, and he has a worse way worse risk management than the guy who's doing a free solo on an 8,000 meter peak, I think. So it's really this kind of point where, from where you look or where is you, yeah. So the guy who's doing it, I think he's kind of aware of, of all the risks who are there. Uh, do you think you, if you look at the past, are you more, is it, is it, are you, have you become better at keeping within your, within your limitations and within your, I don't know within your uh, your potential uh, like now you know where you can push yourself and and you know you know exactly what line where you can where you can balance and and back in the day were you more uh, was it more possible for you to to kind of exceed that and maybe you didn't even know that this is this is way past my this is way past my level but do you know what i mean yeah i think i i i i learned there to 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 keep to be aware at least okay this is now the point where i push really hard or, or outside of my limit now or where i step outside of my normal where, where i think okay now it's getting really here risky in a way but i'm i'm way more aware of it and i realize okay that's now the point and do I want to continue or not? And then I make the decision. So, and that was in the past, I think, yeah, not that I was so conscious about where I am in my field of, from, yeah, going over the edge or not. Um, if you look back on your climbing career, has it been difficult for you to turn around? Or have you always been, been good at that? I think I learned it quite early that it's part of, of being a mountaineer and especially doing expeditions that turning around you have to accept and it's even the moment up there feels horrible when you do it and you you kind of you know there is car how it's like collapsing at one at once so you're just like damn it's, it's so frustrating in this moment but it's part of it and you and i never i think turned around because just of being lazy or because of of I don't want anymore. So it was, and then uh, and that's why I think I'm a good turnarounder. But I think it's something which is normal. When I look back to ninety nine, was my first longer expedition trip apart uh, abroad. No, abroad. Here we are. Head <laughs> um, to Patagonia from now. I just came back from my in Kyrgyzstan. I come back from my thirty ones expedition or something like this, in this fifteen years or sixteen years, and 
half of the expedition were successful in the way that I reached the summit and the other half not so if it's 50 50 which I think in every other investment you do you would say oh we do something else so and but and I think if if other alpinists look at their thing it's pretty the same so yeah it's part of the game um, <clears throat> have you ever made uh, decisions up in the mountains that you afterwards that you are ashamed of uh, that you did it for the wrong reasons that you made bad decisions and, and uh, that you, you know, f- felt ashamed of like well, this is, was really really bad yeah I mean one time only I have to say and this was then pretty full on it was on Amada Blam the, the story we had there so we climbed there like a new route to the north face of Amatablam together with a friend of Japan from Japan, Kasuya Hiraide. And we ended up on a ridge and there we kind of got stuck so we couldn't get back and forwards. And we also were so light that we couldn't repel the whole route. And our strategy, and this was something we knew from the beginning. And now if it's, uh, if it's um, we have the time here to make it long, I think. So, yeah, for me, so, I so we we thought about when we started to climb in the lower part if there the conditions are climbable then we in the upper part they must be they must improve because there is sun hitting the face so the snow gets better and there's wind to make the snow conditions better and we did an acclimatization trip to a mountain like two three kilometers close to that mountain to island peak and uh, the same exposure of the ridge and there it was really good at the same altitude and we started the climb and we it was good to climb so we knew okay we want to go to the top and then back down the other side where are fixed ropes and where the normal way go down this was the plan and then we climbed there three days to the north face and then we got to this ridge and there we got stuck because there the conditions were so bad that it was not climbable anymore so it was only avalanches going down wherever you stepped on it was huge pinnacles serox which were was not climbable we want to go down and the ridge which was the same way down so we had only one kind of protection thing for in this snow and so we were stuck so we called the rescue and they came immediately but and they took me because they took only one because of the they from the weight of the helicopter which can take and they took me flew me down and then they flew up again and then by the second attempt where they went to rescue my friend the helicopter the rotor touched the 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 ridge and fell down 1800 meters and the helicopter crew died so the pilot and the rescue guy and Kasuya was not in the helicopter at that moment he was just like half a meter away mm. so he was alone there and then the next day the best friend of the helicopter pilot of the of, the, of Captain Sabin came then with the last helicopter in Nepal and rescued Kasuya so it was a pretty full on story and come back to the question this is like the only chapter in my mountaineering career where I'm really kind of ashamed of that we that we ended up in a situation where we needed to be rescued without having kind of an injury. So we brought ourselves in a situation where we got stuck. So that is something which is, yeah, uh, I have to accept this as part of my career or um, not career, but of my 
life as a mountaineer, but and I can't change it anymore, unfortunately, and I'm ashamed of it. But yeah, I I, I have to accept it. But you looked up that you went to the there. families of the of the helicopter crew, and you you uh, you have contact, or you had, or have contact with them. Yeah, that's then. I mean, the whole story then uh, brings yeah continues uh, until now and it became to something really good and and so 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 positive in the way that I have a really good relationship with the uh, the family of Purna Avale was a, a rescue guy so who died there and at the moment I tried to manage or we try that their son um, Rikesh that he goes to Germany to study there so I just got yesterday there that he has the visa and, and all these things so it's really cool so what happens uh, how how this changed and the relationship to both of the families are really good and 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 also like when we went after this accident to the families when they had the funeral it was such a crazy intense um experience and 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 situations and, and feelings which i never had before and and uh, and uh, and that is really positive but just the beginning of course mm. of this friendship and this story is yeah like the darkest point in my or the darkest moment in my climbing but you never had a it never made you consider like leaving all of this behind you and uh, kind of not to do expeditions no no not at all not i mean of course the moment it happened and i was down and he was up there kasuya was up and i was down and i kind of realized that this helicopter crashed and i of course i i was totally destroyed in a way that I, I was angry about everything and the mountain the the climbing and all these things because you yeah, have this kind of uh, what can we do and why this need to happen and it's not fair from everything and but in the end you realize it's not the mountains who made us I mean we go there so so and and we want to to go there and and up there Kasuya he took a picture on this evening when he was alone there and I was up and he showed it me afterwards and it's one of the beautiful sunsets you you can imagine and you watch this picture and immediately you think wow I want to go climb this mountain there and this there so so we 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 both continued and we both had never I think the moment that we think we want to stop it and and also the 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 mother of Captain Sabin of the one the pilot who died, he it was really, very yeah intense. She she looked at me when I went to the funeral, and he said she said to me, David, you need now to uh, take really care because you need now to live the life of three. So it's like, and uh, you should enjoy life, and and that's what I'm doing. So I think I I couldn't do any better at the moment to to do what I do to do go to the mountains so I think I kind of yeah fulfill what she wished um, <clears throat> what is your uh, 
what I usually call like reactor look like, like your like your inner core, like the 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 this thing within you that that generates energy for you to keep going when it's like dark, cold, and you're tired, and your like your entire body screams at you to stop. What what keeps you moving forward? Where do you summon energy for that? I think from the all the positive moments I had and how how they feel, how they felt, and and that I know that I have to go through this kind of dark moments or the struggles and and these moments where you feel weak and where you want to turn around. And once you get through these moments, the the other side feels even better. So. So you and I think once you experience that, uh, you want to have it again and again, and that was what drives me forward. Um, you also work as a as a photographer or a camera cameraman. Yeah, but only on expedition, and this is more in the meantime because it just changes slightly that I just can that I can yeah be out there more that really like a professional athlete and. So for me, it's something I really enjoy and like to do it. So I would call it me time even more like a hobby. But of course, even on Nanga Parvat, I was doing the pictures and was paid for doing the pictures and things like that. So I think it's, a, it's an okay level, but I wouldn't call me like a professional photographer because that uh, wouldn't do all the others. Um, what, what, what are you most proud of? Mm, I think, I mean, the one thing is really I'm kind of proud is how this chapter of Ahmad Ablam, this accident turned out now. So where where it is now, and if I really, when Rikesh be able to study here, this would be one of really my really proud moments. And uh, and then the other thing is just. I think I'm just yeah that that I managed until now, yeah not to to lost any any toe any finger so that I that I turned around always at the right point as it seems so and still have yeah summited quite quite a lot of the mountains. Um, is it possible to say at what stage you are now in your life? I think that's difficult to say where I am because I I just I dream of so many things so I wouldn't say that I'm now on my high I mean definitely I don't think I'm at the at the high point of where I I want to be for myself so no there I mean I started now the first time to work with a coach to to train so really like super concentrated and and, uh, like a mental, strict. like a mental coach. No, it's or? no, it's like a physical mostly. So it's really to get like on an, another level of endurance and uh, physical strength. So and that I I'm really curious and interested to see what 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 I can yeah what I'm be able to do when I, when I train with him for I don't know six months or whatever. So. So we will see. So I definitely think I, or I hope I, I'm not on my peak. Um, thank you so much for, for taking your time. You're welcome. 
My name is Kalle Ringborg. I work with marketing and events at, uh, at Nature. First time we heard about this uh, The Other Way project or summit series project was uh, one year before the release. But first time we saw it was in Fredrikshafen last summer. We were invited to this show where they showed us the product and uh, told us the story about it. After that we had 30 minutes to place an order and uh, we went for it. Super cool project, really nice stuff. And we were the only retailer online that was allowed to sell it in Sweden. I think the whole release uh, was a really cool idea that everything was uh, top secret until the date when I released it. We had a really cool lecture with David Guttler in uh, one of our shops. And I think uh, the whole package was uh, really cool and a uh, really fun project to work with. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at the handle Husky Podcast.